Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Whiskey and White Tales podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Matt, in case you didn't know. This is Gus. <laughs> welcome to the podcast. For those that love good whiskey and the great outdoors, we got a good one for you today. We, as we promised in the last episode, we have started and uh, done some research and some fun stuff regarding ancient archery. We're going way back. We're going to talk about archery, old traditional archery uh, techniques and technology and nerd out a little bit on this. So stay tuned. Hope you enjoy. Hello. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, man, what a week. It has been a week. I am I'm glad to be in here because this Recording session has, uh, over the years, become sort of a therapeutic kickoff to our weekend whenever mm-hmm. we're able to do it uh, right before the weekend. So I'm excited to nerd out on some history, yeah, drink some whiskey, mm-hmm. and I don't know, whatever else we decide to do. Yeah. So we were in a, trying to figure out, you know, we, li- we like to just come in here and chit-chat. Sometimes we like to be informational. And we decided to uh, go down an informational path because we kind of, I, I had interest in kind of like where archery came from, some of the ancient techniques and how they were using in different cultures. And so I was like, well, instead of just looking it up and keeping the knowledge myself, we'll just, uh, we'll share with everybody. Right? Selecting your whiskey? Yes, I am. <laughs> Sorry. I was, uh, I couldn't decide between these two. Yeah. Okay. Well, now get, you've decided. I got to get a glass. Yeah. Oh, there's one right there. You don't want one? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So this is gonna be pretty interesting. It's it's you know anyone that's hunted before knows that uh, archery is hard, dur than uh, using a <laughs> firearm. <laughs> but you know it's uh, it's kind of what built the foundation of of what the world is today. I mean, since the beginning, people have needed to eat, and they have used somehow invented this archery technique. Which uh, I find very fascinating that somebody was because if, if you didn't know archery existed, mm-hmm. like it didn't exist, and then you were like, I got to figure out how to make this <laughs> stick go faster, right? Like, how do I launch a spear quicker, you know, or whatever they were doing? <laughs> I want to I want to throw this faster. Yeah. So it's there's really no I, I can't really find anything where it's like this guy and this date invented archery but where this does start is the mesolithic period which is uh, around 10,000 years ago um, and it was characterized by a shift towards more settled and sedentary lifestyles as well as the development of new technologies and cultural practices one of the most fascinating aspects of that period to me is the rock art that's been discovered in various parts of the world including Spain have you ever did you look that up I did look at some of it yeah it's pretty cool wild yeah it's some crazy stuff it's uh it's like Cavemen, or, or you know, we don't. Nobody really knows what that technology was back then. It's, yeah. If you believe that there was a civilization before the current civilization, then you know, possibly. But yeah. So in Spain, there are several examples of this Mesolithic period rock paintings that depict archery. And one of the most famous example is the Single de la Mola rock shelter, located in the Pyrenees Mountains. And this rock shelter contains a number of paintings, individual. Uh, excuse me, including several that depict human figures engaged in hunting with bows and arrows. And some of these paintings depict a variety of animals, including mammoths, 
horses, oxen, and deer. It's pretty wild, man. It is wild because they were hunting horses because they were wild animals. I think it's probably before people were riding them. Could be, or at least or at least at least around a time when similar to other animals today, yeah, we use you know sometimes they're used for for to, as a tool. Sometimes they're <laughs> they're food. You ever had horse meat? I've not. It's good. Is it? Mm-hmm. Where'd you have it? At a restaurant. Okay. I think it was in Maryland. They had a burger. Really? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't think that was something you'd, you'd find Abby in burger. the United States. Yeah. I, I've heard. I've always heard good things. But it was good. I didn't mind it. You ever had dog? Dog is a fine meal. <laughs> <laughs> dog is a fine meal. No, I've never had dog Me either. <laughs> yeah. I know uh, somebody that has though. They ate it when they were in. Uh, I don't know some yeah. Asian country. I think, I, my, I think my dad had had it along with some other things. Find you find yourself in cultural situations where uh, you either eat with what they have to serve or you starve. And if you don't starve, if if it's not for for wanting to avoid starving, it's wanting to avoid uh, you know pissing off your host. So yeah, that was the first time I had goat. Yeah, like I just I didn't want to piss them I off. Respect, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was good. I didn't mind it. But yeah, these paintings are. Particularly remarkable because they provide a glimpse into the hunting practices of these people. And uh, it's believed that these paintings were created by hunter-gatherer societies who lived in the area at the time. But hunting with bows and arrows would have been an important survival skill. And it's likely that these paintings served as a way for these societies to record and share knowledge about their hunting techniques. Um, There was, I don't know if I get into it in these notes here, but, oh, I did. I see it now. But the Archer paintings in Spain are also notable for their artistic and technical sophistication. These figures are depicted in a naturalistic style with careful attention to detail in their clothing, hairstyles, and hunting equipment. The artists also used a range of colors and shading techniques to create depth and texture despite the limitations of a rock surface as the medium. Yeah. Which if you haven't seen these paintings, you should definitely look them up. There's one in particular with all the hands. Mm-hmm. It's just a bunch of hands. Like it looks like you put a hand, like a you would make those Easter bunny, yeah, yeah. paintings, like, like child you, painting where they just yeah. do their whole hand and yeah, yeah, and they like spray painted over their hand and it left these handprints all over the walls. It's wild. It's um, it's fascinating that even in a time as as kind of primitive as this is, they took the time of all the things that they could, of all the things that they could document. And I guess maybe that's maybe that's my ignorance. I say all the things they could document. They probably didn't have much else to document. Like a day-to-day life yeah. survival was been hunting. hunting to get food, preparing that food, taking care of livestock or animals if you had them. Um, and that's what they depict in these in these rocks. So it's, it's kind of cool to see them take um, and use whatever tools they had at their time yeah. to communicate and preserve that information. The same way we do now with different writing utensils and social media and other things. Yeah, yeah. just taking a picture of your kill. I wonder if that's what it was like. I wonder if 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 tribes or groups of people traveled and, and, and when they were traveling, they came across these and were like, oh, check out what these guys, oh, yeah, these yeah. guys are doing this. That's pretty cool. Could you be. <laughs> they were like uh, on their way to uh, their grandpa's village and stopped by to show old old uh, Uncle Tom's, yeah. uh, you know. Painting of his painting last Painting of his last hunt <laughs> yeah. to the kids. I don't know, just... The purpose of cave art is widely debated. Most people don't. There's no, like, for sure thing, but it's most often associated with the shamans who painted the walls in memory of past or support yep. for future hunting. But uh, these hunts walk hand-in-hand hand with the belief that human progress turned more towards behavioral modern um, things. It's called a creative explosion. So we had it, like, in the different time frames in life where mm-hmm. we come out of kind of dark ages and into like the Renaissance, for instance, mm-hmm. wouldn't be another creative explosion. Right. But I find it fascinating. And another thing I looked up on it was the, a lot of these, they believe that there were shamans and like there's rituals or whatever. And uh, so they're saying the depth of the cave, it was oxygen um, deprivation. Oh. And so they were having like these trips kind of. Oh, interesting. I don't know how much weight that holds, but. I mean, I mean, it kind of makes sense. We should try and recreate that at Camp Hero in that cave. Yeah, not, I don't know how far we can. This <laughs> gets <skit's> pretty tight. <laughs> <laughs> I would go, though. I don't care. Oh, that's the one you have to, like, lay on your belly. Yeah, you got to crawl. Yeah, hard pass. Sorry. Yeah, that's I'm too cool much with, for you. I'm cool with caves you can stand up in, but I don't want, I'm not trying to crawl in anything, man. Well, it's like I've been pretty deep in a cave, and I don't remember. I've been, uh, like, almost a mile underground yeah. in, in New Mexico in Carlsbad Caverns. This is, I mean, super deep. Yeah. But you can stand up. Did you have uh didn't bother me then. I was also like nine. No. Yeah. <laughs> but 
Uh, overall, the Mesolithic period rock paintings in Spain that depict archery are a fascinating glimpse into the lives of the cultures of our prehistoric ancestors. They provide valuable insights into the technological, social, and artistic developments of this time period and remind us of the enduring power of human creativity and imagination. This is all stuff that we wrote, by the way. It's just easier to uh, stay on track for you kind of read some of it. But archery equipment used during the Mesolithic period was generally simpler and less advanced than what we see in modern archery. However, it was still effective for hunting and warfare purposes. And so now we're going to kind of get into some of the some of the equipment that they used. Yep. So during the Mesolithic period, uh, Mesolithic period, uh, as you obviously, I mean, archery, it, it's at a minimum, like mm-hmm. you have to have a bow and some sort of projectile or in this, you know, mm-hmm. generally an arrow. Um, but, and, and as we go through some of the, some of the, the different time frames and different, uh, peoples, uh, of this time, the, the general tools are all the same. Even the, the hunting methods are yeah. often the same. It's just slight variations in how they go about either making the equipment or executing those, right. those, those activities. Which I think you could learn a lot by yeah. looking at, they were all independently creating the same technology and using the same techniques. Mm-hmm. So they probably knew what they were doing. It, it, and realistically, it's not too different no. than how we hunt today. No. You know, if you go pheasant hunting here in North Dakota and go to uh, England and pheasant hunt in the fields there, the end game is the same. The equipment's mostly the same, but they use dogs and they use, um, uh, I don't know what they call them, flaggers, people with mm-hmm. flag. Like they, every, things are a little different, but the end game right. is all the same, right? Still achieving. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's cool to see that th- that's always been sort of a thing. I like that the the bows were made of wood or antler. That's a yeah. huge antler. I would love to see. I imagine like a, a stag antler or yeah. something crazy like that. And just cut off all the little tines. And, yeah, yeah. But it's pretty crazy. They were made on an antler. They were also relatively short and more compact, which makes you think that they wouldn't shoot as far. But I have some data in here on um, the distances that they were shooting back then. Once we get kind of deeper in the woods. Yep. But yeah, they were often curved, and some were even made to be reflex bows that had a slight curve in the opposite direction at the tips. If you've ever seen like a long bow, mm-hmm. something similar to that. Yeah. Uh, the arrows were made typically from wood or bone. They were fletched with feathers or other materials to stabilize their flight. And they were tipped with stone or bone points, which were often barbed to help ensure they remain embedded in the target. Which it's fascinating, uh, an arrow from bone. Yeah, I think you just sharpen it up some. and. Uh, wonder what kind of bone, though. Femur, I don't know. Something hard. Yeah, no big. <laughs> That's what she said. I think it'd probably be easier to do it out of bone than it would stone. And I think when they figured out how to make, like, the process from making arrowheads out of stone is pretty crazy. Have you seen, there's, like, a lot of guys that still do it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, people who take the whole, like, still into the, um, yeah, the, uh, like, primitive ways of, of making their own. Right. So, yeah. They it's uh and on here it says a le- the last thing on the how to do it was the leather pad and uh, yeah, yeah. to protect your hand while applying pressure with the pressure flaker mm-hmm. but like even the ones that you watch today the guys that are making it they'll they'll pull the rock up yep and have like a hammer stone and they'll put a leather pad over their leg before yep. they get going but do you want to go over the stones that they would use yeah the different types of stone mm-hmm. yeah so they have uh, w- when you're making an arrowhead from stone. Um, they're basically, like he already mentioned the leather pad, but you'll need obviously a, just a, a stone that you're going to, um, that you're going to shape to be your, to be your arrow. And that, that can be uh, flint, obsidian, uh, chert, jasper. Uh, these are, these are durable, hard stones, but that they also typically flake, right? So mm-hmm. you can shape them. It allows you to shape them a little easier. You need a hammer stone, right? So this is the, this is the stone or the rock that you're going to use to strike the stone that you're shaping to get your general shape of, of your your arrow and then your pressure flaker uh, is another one that you'll use. Um, this allows you to apply pressure to the edge and just snap off sort of your small pieces yeah. to get that serrated edge. That's how you're kind of sharpening in the stone. Right. Kinda. Um, you also need a antler or bone punch. Uh, and this is used similarly um, to just apply pressure to the edge, um, help control the shape of that edge. Uh, and, and, we're, I'm describing this, and I'm sure you're, you're, you know, listener, you're, whoever's listening, you're smart enough to sort of picture what's going on. But the best way to really get an idea how this works is to just look it up on, 
on yeah. YouTube. There's people that still do it to the today and uh, demonstrate how it's done. Um, and then the last piece, like Matt said, is the leather pad that you use to protect your hand or your thigh, wherever you're applying the pressure from. Um, yeah. And from that alone, you can you can slowly and with some patience and practice, you can make a, a nice a nice arrowhead. Yeah, you basically you'll choose like a suitable piece of stone, and once you strike it with the hammer stone to remove any irregularities, and you kind of get that rough shape of what it, you know what an arrowhead looks like. Yeah. You then use that antler or the bone punch to apply pressure, and you just get those little flakes off. Um, it's just precise pressure, and you got to work really slow, and you just kind of shape the arrowhead into, you know, the perfect shape. Yeah. And then the pressure flaker to remove all those small flakes, like you were saying. But the good thing about the antler or the bone punch is that you can really feather the edges and get them. It's more uh, uh, accurate, mm-hmm. I guess. It'd be like a fine Consistent. working tool, but like using a Dremel, it'd be yeah. like using a Dremel. I think. I think the. I think the consistency is is probably was probably important, mm-hmm. you know, f- to them for this. And, and it's just like anything else you make with your hands. It's going to take practice. But I mean, once you get a feel for the right pressure and the right, you know, like I can ima- <laughs> imagine. You ever broken a tool that you like in the oh, garage? Yeah. Like God damn it, right? And then now you got to go replace that tool. That one never feels the same. I imagine going through the same thing, like mm-hmm. losing their their punch tool, and then now they're pissed because they got to go find another one. Yeah, and it's not it's not like the one they had previously. How pissed off that would be. The other thing too is like you know how the bottom shape of an arrowhead is kind of shaped like a like an upside down T. Yeah, so they can tie it to the stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine making that whole arrow, and then that's the last thing you do is punch out those little T's and, and that then you shit crack breaks. it. Oh my yeah. god, I bet that happens a lot. <laughs> that would be really important, really irritating. But Some wall art, somebody jumping off of a cliff because they kept fucking up their arrowheads and they just got just lost their shit one day. Yep. And all the research I looked at on how to make it, <laughs> yeah. it says uh, it could take many attempts, but don't get discouraged in your first attempts because they will not be successful. Oh, I'll, I'll be discouraged. Yeah. It's it's my it's my internal faulty perceived sense of perfection that like, like yeah. I can do this. Oh, I can do this. And yeah. then if I don't, then I'm just like, oh, I, now I have to do this. How much more abuse can my brain handle every <laughs> yeah. time I screw this up? If I lived like we're at Camp Hero, I would just go down to that river and make arrowheads. All day? Just sit there? Yeah, just sit there until I figured it out. <laughs> but, uh, they also had quivers, of course, to store and carry their arrows. Yep. They're often made from animal hide or bark, which I saw some bark ones. They basically just like skin a tree and then tie it kind of back together and put a bottom in it. They're pretty interesting ones. But they usually were decorated with some kind of design or other embellishments to make them their own unique thing. Like, you know, you would do with any other tool. Throw some camo on there and a a red loop. Whatever you want to do. A, uh, yeah, matching strings. You think they, they probably probably just carved their bows. That's what I would have done. That's what I would have done too. Yeah. The bowstrings were uh, sinew, which if you don't know what sinew is, if you've ever um, killed a deer, like on their shin area, when, you, when you're skinning it, that white stuff in there, you can kind of cut that and peel it out. And that's kind of what almost all of it was made from. There's some, some that did plant fibers, but the sinew was really flexy and strong. Yeah. And then they would coat them with some kind of wax just to keep them from drying out. But that's another thing that's super time-consuming. But if you do it right... Um, last a long time. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. The, um, uh, oh, do you want to talk about how to make yeah. that? The sinew, yeah. Yeah. So if you've, if you've d- ever done any sort of taxidermy work or anything like that, some of this is, um, it's kind of along the same lines. You have to obviously pull that, um, that sinew, you know, off the animal, um, you know, put it, you know, you have to cut it into long, thin strips, um, you know, scrape any of the fat and, and other body tissue off it, and you have to basically let that um, soak in, in warm water for several hours and get it soft. And then, you know, from there you can lay them side by side. Like I said, finish getting any of that, uh, the material um, off of there. And then using your hands or uh, a bowstring jig, um, you twist, you twist the sinew together to create a cord. Um, you don't... You have to be careful though, because if you if you do it too much um, or too tight, you'll, you'll snap it, and you got to start start over. Basically, yeah, especially because once you soak it and all that, and it, you have to dry it out. Yeah, and, uh, if it gets too dried, 
it'll so you're just, so you're soaking just... you're soaking it to make it easier to work with right but then you have to get it to the point where you need it without without breaking it while it's in that point and then mm-hmm. allow it to dry uh but you'll use string um to to sort of um tie the ends together and and get it get it tacked up so it can dry um in a warm dry place you'll secure it with like i said with some cord and once it's dry you can untwist it and remove any excess wax um because you you i I skipped over that part but you want to apply beeswax was generally used uh but put that um along the cord to coat it and prevent it from unraveling um while it while it sort of uh cures for lack of better term and and retains its shape um not that we expect anyone listening to go do this, but it's just. But it's it, interesting. It's a like, long process. Yeah, it is a long process. So it's not like you know today you want to you want a bow, you go to the shop or you go to eBay or you go to Facebook Marketplace wherever you buy a bow, you get, you go get it tuned yeah. at your shop and you go home and practice for a few weeks and you could technically go out and and kill a deer if 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 you wanted to do that then it took time and craftsmanship yeah and effort to make a bow and then you had to be able to operate it. And yeah. shoot it accurately. And you got to make sure the tension is good and it's actually going to shoot the arrow. And, yeah. and you know, if, I'm sure you could blow that string out pretty easy. That's yeah. sinew. And if, I, you, if you pull back too hard. And I imagine this is one of those things where at a certain age, you probably yeah, got oh, a yeah. bow. Oh, yeah. And you learned, and, and that stuck with you for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't I don't see this as being something that they did. You know, you, you weren't building a new bow every year. Maybe you were, but I, but I doubt it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you may, they probably had more than one bow for different different types of activities. Perhaps. Could be. But, yeah. But overall, the archery equipment during that period was relatively simple compared to what we see today. Uh, it was still effective for hunting and warfare and was an important technological development that helped humans to survive and thrive in a variety of environments. Yeah. But, yeah, that, that's the ancient stuff. And then uh, the next kind of area or time frame that you get into is is Egyptian which what's fun about all the different cultures that use this technology is you'll see as we go through some of them they have to use the wood that they like the materials that they have in their yeah. area yeah, so yeah. like all the bows kind of probably looked similar but it's funny that they took the time to figure out what was the best type of wood to use yeah that they had that they had available to them right yeah, yeah. and so like the Egyptians used the acacia bullberry and Tamarisk, which I've never heard of a tamarisk tree. Me either. But you would basically just select strong, straight branches that were free from knots and defects because the knots are weak points in the bow. Yeah. And then the, they all of their cordage they made was from flax or papyrus, basically. And they it was called cordage. And they would use that cordage to kind of bind the bow together okay. and attach the bowstring to so it. So it's taking the plant fibers and making strength. That's... Yeah. More or less. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen flax, it's pretty resilient plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then they would use fire to kind of straighten the bow out and remove any moisture from the wood. Yep. And they were really careful about heating the wood over a fire, and they would use their hands to bend it into the shape. So it's, I'm guessing there's a lot of hand kind of like, is the bow warm enough? You can tell with your hand over yeah. time, like, okay, now it's warm enough for me to kind of bend it. Yep. Uh, but they also use different kind of natural adhesives, and they make glue from animals to reinforce the bow and attach the string yeah. and um, going on and on from there. And then their feathering, you know, you don't see, you don't think of Egypt as having a bunch of birds, but they, of course, have geese and swan, and that's kind of the main thing they would use to make their fletching. Yeah. But I like that they would, there's stories about them attaching the feathers in different ways, carefully shaping them, longer, mm-hmm. shorter, wider, whatever, in order to improve its flight. So, like, they, they did, like, basically R&D on goose feathers to, nice. to see what flies better. And there's a bunch of stuff about that. I wonder if they ever, I wonder if they or John Dudley were the first to do an eight-fletch. Could be John Dudley. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they would waste that much time. But, uh, well, one, one thing I wanted to point out was, like, um, Oh, you never mind. That's we'll get to that in a minute. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall they had a pretty deep knowledge of materials, and they also used stone points. They had flint, obsidian, and quartz mm-hmm. were the main pieces there, and they would shape the stone using flint blades instead of kind of what we were talking about before with the different types of hammer stones. And yeah. Um, but overall, they looked very similar. Just a, they were a little bit shorter, a little bit smaller. Yeah. Um, and just really tipped. Thinner arrows. Yeah. The, um, I think it's important to, you know, to point out that 
the people making these were the same people that were going to be using them. Right. Right. And and these were, we're in this case, we're talking about hunting, but these were the same people in most civilizations that were also going to, to war, be yeah. war the warriors mm-hmm. that would go fight. So, you know, they, in whatever culture, whether you had a, a secondary job within your, within your community or whatever, um, even today, right. So someone who is, or has the skills that they call themselves a warrior, they have a very intimate knowledge of the weapons that they bring yeah. with them, right? You have to. Um, and so like the, you know, the fact that these guys are spending time or these, these whomever were spending time perfecting and learning and doing R and D, as you said, so to speak, uh, mm. with what works best so that they could make the most effective tool for hunting, but also with in the back of their mind, knowing that yeah. it may be what ensures they, whether or not they come home. Right. I can take know? this thing to war yeah. or I could take it out to get some dinner. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be. I think it would be cool to uh, to be a fly on the wall if if it were possible to sit down warriors from that time all the way through time even to today and like a like a giant round table fire and just talk ethos in there. Yeah. Let listen to them discuss their you know that are the things that they their core values. I don't think they'd be very different. No, I'm sure that they wouldn't. They a lot of stuff back then was was not so much king and country but clan kind of related the people around you who you're going to protect and um i think that a lot of their core values were based around religion sure um i don't see it much different today i just i, I don't think that today we have kind of i think the warrior things kind of there used to be a lot of them i don't know how many warriors there are today uh, no not very many probably they go out and you know especially this style that will you know <laughs> i hate to say it but a man's man if you will the, the hunter fighter you know the whole thing yeah. the protection of the flock and and i don't know it's just it's interesting to read some of this stuff and, and look at it from that perspective for sure yeah that they were not only hunting but also that was an every that was a i don't want to say everyday part of life but it was far more uh oh yeah far Boring. more prevalent than than it is you know. mm-hmm. and a lot of it was over hunting grounds too they would fight over access hunting to grounds. resources yeah. that's that hasn't changed no yeah <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But, yeah, we wanted to get into some of the hunting techniques that the Egyptians used. Uh, trapping was pretty much their main thing. They would make traps from materials like reeds or thorn bushes and then bait the traps with food or different scents of animals. Um, and they mainly used it for birds, hares, hyenas. That was kind of just what was there. But they um, they were one of the first civilizations to use dogs and assist in hunting, particularly for a larger game like the gazelle or mm-hmm. the wild boar. But they had they do it the same way they do it today. They have the dogs that were trained to corner the prey, and then the hunters would come in for the kills, whether that be like in a ravine or yeah. you know whatever. It's also like <clears throat> when you when you're looking at and thinking about Egypt, it's very easy to just your brain kind of automatically goes to like desert and the pyramids. Yeah. But there used to be grass there. There used to be all <laughs> like all kinds of stuff there. There's a lot of weathering on a lot of the monuments from from torrential downpours, yeah, which they, they said it hasn't rained in Egypt and. 10,000 years or something crazy. <laughs> uh, but the the, 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 the fact is that if, if you do some digging um, and look at some of the, the geological research from that area, um, there used to be a vast, I don't know if it's the jungle, but the, um, that area used to be thriving with oh, yeah. wildlife and, and, green and, and all the things that aren't there yeah. now they have depictions of them hunting gazelles so yeah you know gazelles don't live in the <clears throat> desert i don't think yeah i don't think so <laughs> but they they also did a lot of spear hunting again with the gazelles and antelope right and uh usually it would be them moving just walk you know like stalking mm-hmm. getting really close and then just slamming the spear into them nice uh, which i think is wild could you imagine how long that would take to sneak up on an antelope i mean it's maybe they were <laughs> Maybe they were dumb then. Maybe. Dumb antelopes. That's why Could they're easy to kill. The hard ones are the ones that but live. evolved and live <laughs> today. Yeah, <laughs> it's possible. But yeah, and then the bows and arrows, obviously, um, they use those for the same things for birds and hares. But they would also use this to hunt larger game like ostrich. Mm-hmm. Like nice. Killing, a bo- killing an ostrich with a bow and arrow would be wild. Like in Egypt. Like a giant turkey hunt. Yeah, and ostrich is good too, and you can make boots out of it. <laughs> lots of... Lots of uh, purposes for that animal but the the other thing i wrote for hunting was falconry it was a huge thing in ancient egypt Uh, but they would train falcons to hunt ducks quails doves 
and then the falcons would be released to chase the birds and then would return to the hunter with their prey, which is pretty fascinating because today they don't really do that. They have the bird kind of hover over it, and then yeah. you go over there and get it. But um, it's pretty fascinating. We, we've looked at a lot of videos for falconry. We talked falconry on a podcast with the Center for Birds of Prey. Yep, sure did. And um, it's cool to see that it's kind of hand-in-hand with ancient Egyptian technology like bows and arrows. Yeah. Well, it's, it's cool to see, you know, archery still exists today, and as does falconry. You know, these are ancient ancient crafts, if you will, and methods of hunting that, that are still still used mm-hmm. today. It's it's uh, it's cool when, when you see things um, transcend time. Right, right. Get into Persia? Persia, Persians. Um, yeah, so the Persian Empire, uh, it spans several centuries, included different peoples and cultures. Uh, so the specific techniques and equipment for making bows and arrows have varied across times in, in those regions that in, incorporate Persia. Uh, but some of the general tools and materials, um, you know, used to make their their bows and arrows, like we've mentioned, aren't too different. Um, it gets a little bit different in some of the, uh, for example, they used metal tools, uh, like chisels and knives. Um, but wood, they, they obviously use wood for making their bows, a lot of ash, elm, and walnut, um, just by, again, selecting straight, you know, straight branches that were free from knots and defects. Um, they also used horn uh, to reinforce their bows. Uh, this uh, either from water buffalo or ibex uh, it was cut into strips and glued into the the bow stave to sort of increase its strength and resilience so starting to see as we as we're moving through time a little bit more craftsmanship a little bit more ingenuity yeah. with materials how to apply it how to use it and we're, we're how do sk- we keep this wood from breaking let's right. put animal horn and, on and, it. and we're <laughs> skipping we're skipping through this like in a few minutes but yeah. th- th- we're transcending hundreds if not thousands of years yeah. of time as you know so there's a lot of trial and error a lot of things that have been learned and passed down um send you again just like um previously mentioned pulling from animal tendons uh, a lot from sheep and the persians yep a lot of sheep uh but made the same way you know twisted into cord um covered with wax they also used feathers uh, for their fletchings these feathers uh again trimmed and, and attached to the arrow shaft to improve its stability I mentioned metal tools, so these were like What's I said. Fun about feathers, they used eagle feathers and vultures. That's what that's what was. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. Including Calorie Smart Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Doing that research on it, is that was their main thing, was eagles and vultures. Oh, yeah, I missed, I, I glossed right over that, sorry. No, you're good. I just thought it was fascinating. They were killing badass. eagles to make to They make probably feathers. weren't. Well, maybe they were killing them. I don't know. It was uh-huh. a different, different time. Yeah. Um, metal tools. So this, again, is, you know, we're going through time, so, so new types of, um, you know, new types of materials are being invented and, and, and used. So metal tools were used by Persians. Uh, such as chisels, knives, and scrapers to shape the wood, um, you know, to clean sinew and horn and things like that. So uh, they also used metal arrowheads, and uh, they were often made from iron or bronze. And then made it like, there's a lot of stuff you read while you're doing the research that I yeah. just didn't put in here, but the the metal, it almost, it made they made them out of metal so they could pierce through armor. Armor, yeah. Yeah, which is, now we're getting into armor-piercing arrows. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Pretty crazy so, technology. So, I mean, so just, th- we're focusing here on, on, on just arrows, but if you think about the existence and availability of metal, yeah. using metal to make... Brace plates and stuff. You know, things for, for body armor, you can start to get an idea of the things that were existing in that time and, and what type of technology were being used for not just hunting, but warfare as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the Persians were also using fire. Um, this is used to heat and bend wood uh, and horn, so, you know, for, you know, for the making of the actual bow itself. 
Um, they'd heat the wood and horn over the fire and, you know, use their hands and other tools to shape it into the, the form that they wanted. And then also glue. So they were, uh, they were making natural adhesives from animals or resin um, to reinforce the bow and attach the horn and, and sinew as, as we discussed previously. But over and all, uh, you know, Persians were renowned for their skill in archery and uh, their very effective composite bows. Which combined this, the uh, you know the strength and resilience of the horn as we talked about, and the flexi- with the flexibility and the lightness of of the wood that they were using, especially something like ash. Mm-hmm. Uh, so their arrows were were highly accurate and deadly thanks to the use of carefully crafted fletchings and the metal arrowheads we were just talking about. Um, you want to talk a little bit about their hunting techniques? For sure, for sure. Uh, they so we start to see some sport here where they use the archery for not only hunting but also for sport. <laughs> yeah. But their actual hunting techniques, a lot of people know that Persians today, well, I guess they're not called Persians anymore, but they're... Uh, sure. I don't know, are they? They're not? I don't know. Is Persia still a country? <laughs> I don't think it is. I don't know. But you you still see it today where they use falconry, um, which is a huge technique. And they, they, they use it for quail, pheasants, ducks, and... Um, it's, you know, you see them on horseback doing it today, like for sport. Yeah. But, yeah, so they also use dogs... But the bow and arrow hunting, they uh, used it on gazelle, sheep, and ibex. Then they would use these weapons to hunt birds as well as ducks and geese. And they obviously still use kind of some of the spear hunting. Yep. But they did a lot of the trapping and the net hunting like the Egyptians did, mainly using strategic locations like watering holes where they knew the animals were going to be there. They would just kind of bait traps where they would sit there and hide and wait. And then once the animal came out, could you imagine netting a deer? Throwing a cast net over a deer at a watering hole. That's got to be a wild ride. No shit. If it's attached <laughs> to your leg or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be fun. But uh, so the Chinese was the next step. And what's fun mm-hmm. about the Chinese is they were one of the first people to invent black powder. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's not going to be on this episode, but we'll probably get into some of that technique. Because it was pretty fascinating. They were using black powder to shoot arrows at people. Oh, they were? Yeah. Like giant arrows, kind of like that gun that that quote unquote air rifle that shoots uh, arrows. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like that. Nice. Yep. Chinese man, always a step ahead. Mm-hmm. That uh, they they had bamboo, so the, they were using different types of wood, mm-hmm. uh, bamboo, mulberry, and elm, and same thing. No knots, no defects, just long straight branches. And they also had this horn technique where they would reinforce the outside. Uh, but they would use water buffalo and rhinoceros, which rhinoceros. I found fascinating. Damn. Cutting a horn off a rhinoceros and putting it in like ivory, an ivory bow would be pretty crazy looking. It's Gucci, man. Well, it's like I've seen pictures of them before, like the ancient bows that yeah. were preserved. And I always thought that was decoration. But like, it actually had structural function. Yeah, yeah. There was a reason that the ivory was on there and it wasn't just to look good. But I guess it's really only in recent, you know, recent times that we've had the, uh, um, What's the word? Gucci? No, but no, we've had the like uh not not privilege, but the where we can take the the time to add something to a, a hunting oh, yeah, tool yeah. because it looks cool. Like right. because we have the time and the and the convenience like to, a to do so. Right. Trigger. Yeah. yeah. Right. It, it it doesn't serve any functional purpose. It just no. looks nice. Right. Yeah. But back then it was entirely like does this serve a function? Does it make me yeah. able to hunt or kill somebody better? Outside of like royalty, like just the regular Yeah, of course. Guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But as you know, China was, uh, you know, the Silk Road and they, they used a lot of stuff for silk. So they used silk to create their bowstrings. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Which same thing, they had to put it with wax. You know, we still have to wax bowstring today. So that's not really a huge uh, it's shocker. It just keeps the, the, the fibers, whatever it's made out of, mm-hmm. you know, all together. But they, the feathers they used were pheasants and geese. Nice. Uh, which is pretty cool. It'd be cool to have feather arrows or uh, pheasant arrows. Pheasant feather arrows. <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, they use uh, metal tools, chisels, knife scrapers, all that. And then uh, they also use metal arrowheads made from iron or bronze. And they use the same fire technique to bend it. And uh, their glue, they use animal glue or like a type of resin yeah. to attach everything. But in addition to all that equipment and materials, the Chinese developed sophisticated techniques for making bows and arrows. For example, they would use a process called squeezing, where they would compress layers of bamboo or other materials in their composite bows, which created like a really resilient and powerful weapon. And they also had specialized arrowheads. They were called bodkin or leaf-shaped heads. Yeah. And yeah. they were also designed to penetrate armor. Fascinating. 
but they are well known for their skill in archery. Um, even today, I mean, it's, I guess they're known for swords too, but their archery techniques were spot on. Yeah. They were still using them when we went over there and gave them guns. And then they, whatever that, yeah. that movie was the last samurai. That's Japan though. Not China. Oh, you're right. Close enough. I don't remember. Yeah. I guess samurai would be Japan. Huh? <laughs> Same area. Oh man. Um, Ho Chi Minh. Ho Chi Minh. But yeah. Um, and then it's the same thing. They they use all the stuff for deer, wild boar, birds. Yeah. But they would also hunt tigers and leopards, which I found. That's fucking wild, dude. Could you imagine hunting a tiger with a primitive bow? Well, can you, I, I imagine, like, I think about times when people have gone out deer hunting or whatever, and then it turns into a hog hunt or it turns yeah, yeah, into yeah. a coyote hunt. Can you imagine, like, going out for deer and it turns into a tiger hunt? Yeah. Not because you went out looking for a tiger, because that motherfucker found you. I wonder how many people... <laughs> Died trying to kill a tiger with Dude, a bow. I don't know. People die still in India yeah. from tigers. Just they hunt people. Like they show like up the in villages. Like I'm gonna fuck this place up. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny that they've like acquired a taste for humans. It's wild. Have you seen those videos though? Like the, mm-hmm. the village is running around crazy. And the tiger is just strolling, strolling, just yep. caught like mayhem. He's like shopping on Main Street, <laughs> looking over there, looking over here. Right. A little yeah. nibble on one guy's like nah, too salty. Yeah. Next. He's he's there's, he's sick. He's malnourished. <laughs> I don't want that in my body. But that they, they use a lot of the same techniques as trapping uh, water holes and stuff. And yeah. Net hunting and hunting with dogs and falconry and and you're seeing a lot of the similar techniques. Right. But the um, technology they were using back then is it's pretty crazy having a silk string. Yeah. Like you wouldn't think silk would be strong enough, but I mean, I guess. You know, I've been today. I mean, we, yeah, we got learned today from that, a silk sash. Yeah, silk. They even use t- types of silk and have experimented with types of silk for making body armor. For body plates, armor, yeah, yeah, right. Yep. The uh, those those hoodies, the uh, bulletproof hoodies or whatever, yeah. they're made from silk. Yep. There's some. Um, they didn't go into great detail because I think it's obviously probably still classified. But they alluded on a documentary about um, like certain. Uh, like the president and certain secret service mm-hmm. elements having suits that are lined with that type of silk um, to help with obviously stopping bullets. Have you seen the vi- pictures of them with their fake hands? Yeah. That's yeah. funny. It's really just funny. It's like, <laughs> it's like yeah, a, they, a mannequin. And yeah. Like they're, obviously they're. Yeah. They're real hands inside on a, on on a, a weapon. weapon, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably a little, uh, I don't know. A little who makes a scorpion. Is that a SIG? Uh, like the tiny little compact. I don't remember who makes it. Badass little gun. Yeah, they are cool. Definitely. Uh, Greek, it's not too much different in the Greek. They used ash, yew, and olive Yep, for their bows. But the same technology kind of for the tendons from the animals, and they used falconry or feathers from vultures and eagles. and Metal tools. Yeah, metal fi- tools for them. Fire and glue, all yeah. the same. They did use, um, uh, they were known for a technique called tillering, uh, which is which they they use to carefully shape and balance the bow. Mm-hmm. Um, they would also often reinforce the bow with additional layers of wood or horn to increase the strength. So you're starting to see certain groups say, "Okay, well, I can make this and it's durable, but how do I make it more balanced? How do I make it more consistent right. with every shot?" And um, that's that's kind of what you're seeing with with the Greeks and that the the tillering process. And that, that allowed their bows to be a lot longer because they could stabilize them better. But the they're famous for their distinctive shape. I don't know if you've ever seen one, but they're just long, really thin. Yeah. And uh, you can bend it to, it's like a very high degree to create a lot of power. Very aggressive bend. Yeah. Nice. Which would give you power and accuracy. So And strength and, and distance too. Mm-hmm. Right. So like obviously a an arrow is a reach out and touch somebody weapon. The further you can reach out yeah, because if you know if they have a shorter ability, uh, shorter flying arrows, you can engage your enemy from further away. Yep, and somewhere in here, it's uh, oh, I have it now. It's I think I think you get Genghis into it with Khan's, Genghis Khan stuff. Yeah. yeah, the Genghis Khan section is pretty fascinating. We can actually just skip over to that because the the rest of the Greek stuff is pretty normal. It's all the same. Um, just for the, the listeners, the next thing is the hunting techniques, and it's again, it's all the same thing: dogs, yeah. bows and arrows, of course, trapping, net hunting, and falconry. So yep. and spears, spears. But yeah, so Genghis Khan, probably one of the first famous archers, I think. I can't really, I couldn't really find anybody before him that was known, like world known for being so an archer. Like, like, yeah, like his his uh, legacy, good or bad, however you want to look at it. Like <laughs> I think it's bad, I don't securely remember. Securely <laughs> has, like, definitely has archery associated with right. it. Right. 
and the it's so a lot of this is going to be kind of war related but it's also you know they use these same techniques for hunting but uh yeah genghis khan it's 1162 to 1227 ad and he was the founder of the mongol empire which was the largest empire in, in this world's history huge huge but he was born in 1162 in a region now known as mongolia but as a young man, he faced challenges, including the murder of his father and betrayal of his closest allies. However, he emerged as a powerful leader, uniting many of the nomadic tribes under his leadership. So what's cool about him is his military strategy, how he led armies to conquer most of Central Asia, China, parts of Eastern Europe. But like his, he was known for his ruthlessness in battle, but yeah. also like his ability to keep people under his rule for the promotion, like through the promotion of like religious tolerance, for yeah. instance, he didn't care what religion you were. No, like he would come in and like, if, if you gave him a hard time, he'd, he, kill he, you. he'd whip some ass. But yeah. also he was like, Hey, if you guys just be under my rule, like you can practice whatever religion you want. We'll make sure you get whatever resources you need. Just, just be cool. Yeah. And, and, uh, and he, a lot of people are like, yeah, okay, cool. He, because <laughs> of his, they, they, every story you read about him, about him being betrayed as a kid. Mm hmm. That comes up a lot in his in his career. Uh, one of which he, he I can't remember the name of the, where he conquered, but he took the, this entire nation's like generals and and everybody was in charge of the military. Yeah. And he was like, if if you will turn your back and join me, turn your back on your country and join me, you will live. If you don't, I'm going to kill you. And so, uh, some people did, some people didn't, and he killed them because he couldn't trust them. He killed the ones that did? Yep. Yeah, it's a test. Yeah, and the way he did it was he laid them down on the ground, and they put a big, like, like they built a floor on top of them, okay. and then they had a, a party and just partied what? on top of them, drinking and, and had dinner and everything, and it, it squished them to death. What? That's how he killed Fucked them. Fucked up, dude. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I know. He was, he's a, so the. Dude, I've seen some wild shit, like, the cartel has done. Oh, that, yeah. That's wild. That's, that's up there, with especially someone. when you're like, "Oh, good they're they're not gonna they're not gonna kill me because I turn my back on the on these people." Oh, what's this box? But they said that he's he's responsible for the deaths of up to forty million people. God lord. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, the records are not reliable. You couldn't know for sure, but you've heard the things about like he changed the carbon footprint of, of, the, of the earth of the earth from how I've many people before. he killed. Yeah, yeah. But his he died in twelve twenty seven. And uh, his empire continued to expand the leadership of his sons and grandsons, yeah. but it ended up making up 22 million square kilometers, making it the largest continuous or contiguous rather yeah. empire in history. It's it's hard to comprehend that. Yeah. You have to you have to Google that and look at a map to uh, see how big it was. Like the other, it was like the old world. It's it's wild the amount that he ruled. Yeah, and like and not only that he ruled, but like how did. How do you rule that much at that time? So they think that he didn't, that he just kind of went through, and then and that was one of the reasons that led to the falling of the empire later down the road is so they you, couldn't control so it. So you don't think that, yeah. I guess you get too big, right? Yeah. Because at some point, in order to maintain control, you have to have people that you trust in various yeah. regions and ability to communicate things to them and back to you. We figure if he left and you haven't seen him in 10 years, you're right. like, why are we still? Yeah, and and then and then, but then it's like as soon as I make that decision, I'm like well, fuck, Genghis Khan, I'm gonna yeah. do my thing. Like, and then a week later, his boys show up. It's like, ah, shit, yeah. now we're in trouble. <laughs> but it, I think it bankrupted the empire too. And I mean, it's the same thing with Rome. I mean, oh yeah, they ended up in Ireland for some reason. Yeah, you know, and it just they were just too spread out, and yeah. they couldn't imagine that a, a, a country get spreading its military resources and money so thin that it can't. Protect itself. Anyways. Yeah. That's, that seems like a bad idea. That seems like a terrible decision. But it's difficult to determine the exact number of people they killed, um, as I was saying earlier, but the, the numbers are pretty high. And some some estimates of the death toll are likely exaggerated or based on legends rather than yeah, historical war facts. War stories. Yeah. War stories, exactly. But into his archery, since that was the point of this. Yeah. Um, just a little backstory on him. But anyway, he as the founder of the empire, he's known for his exceptional skills in archery. And so they were basically a nomadic warrior tribe, and they relied heavily on archery um, in both battles and hunting. But their archers were known for their exceptional skills and tactics in battle, and it played a crucial role in their conquest. But here's some uh, facts and statistics. Yeah, this stuff is fascinating to me. Yeah, the just the, how good they were at archery. Yeah. Um, oh, you want me to go? So I was looking at that. Well, Get it going. I'm looking at something because okay. um, I have a theory about how something helped. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the rate of fire was was the what I wrote as the number one 
yeah. kind of like deciding factor. And, but they were they were trained to shoot arrows extremely quickly. With some some people suggest that they could shoot up to twenty arrows per minute, and this was achieved through a practice. It's a technique called a thumb draw. So they had basically yeah these rings that would go around your thumb and a hook on the ring, and so they would kind of curl their thumb in to hold that ring, and then attach it to the bowstring, and they would pull back. So. So they didn't actually have to grab the string in the right place. They would just knock an arrow and yeah. just reach back and rip that thing out. So I have a I have a theory, and I haven't looked at any pictures of how they carried their arrows at this time, but I have a theory that that freed up their fingers from getting fatigued. To hold arrows. So as they let go, they can grab an arrow immediately they would, by their, by their, out of their quiver. They would hold arrows in their hand. They'd hold oh, that makes four even more arrows sense. in their hand, yeah. and they would fire one that makes with even their more thumb, sense. and then they would just load in the next one, fire Damn, it, load yeah. in the next one. Then they'd reach back and grab four more arrows. Damn, dude, that's like getting that's like getting shot at by a bunch of people with machine guns back in the day. Yeah, pretty much. It's wild. Yeah. It's, a, you, it's a crazy... <clears throat> have uh, you seen the, have you seen the like, semi-auto bow thing? Yes. You have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I don't think I'm into it. I might be for certain situations. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, the second thing, I, the second... Um, so these are in order of the f- most important mm-hmm. to me. And, but the second one was their mobility. So the way they were able to use horses to cross yeah. the battlefield and shoot accurately while riding at high speeds, this would definitely be a benefit while hunting. Any art, any art I've ever seen depicted of that, it's o- it almost always shows them on horseback. And they're like standing on the back of the horse, which yeah. is wild. But yeah, could no you imagine deal. being able to hunt on horseback with an art, with a bow and be deadly accurate? You could put three arrows into into an animal pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. Genghis Khan had the first nitro circus. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so uh, yeah. then they also had a, comp- a type of composite bow, which yeah. is number three for me. So same thing, made out of horn and wood. Um, but they were more compact than, than a regular bow. Right. And so they were able to pull back a lot more strength on them, which we'll get into what that strength gave them on the composite bow, because I'm going to go a little deeper on that. Yeah. Um, number four was the arrows. They were made of lightweight materials such as reed or bamboo. Bamboo? Bamboo. Rambo. Bamboo. Rambo and bamboo. Rambo. And they were tipped with metal and bone points. Right. And they were also made for inflicting maximum damage, penetrating armor. So if they were making something out of arrows like that light, right, out of out of bamboo with metal or bone points. Um, Be very front heavy, which is where you want the power. Yeah. Come. So, so, so you're starting to see, you know, the Greeks were figuring out how to balance the bows correctly. Yep. You're starting to see this. This uh, this in depth understanding of arrow flight and right. archery and all those things, which is part of the reason we kind of got into this conversation initially, and why we want to touch this because we feel like we've as a, as a as a society as as hunters have become very reliant on just technology and what it tells us we should be doing and shooting without really understanding archery for what it is. Right, and we'll get into that in the next episode. Yeah. I didn't want to open with it, but it's kind of talking about how we've lost our way. Um, there's a thing called FOC, front of center, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how you how you do the flight of an arrow sure. in order to make it fly correctly. But back then, their flight of their front front of centers were probably really far forward. Probably. I mean, the, all the weight was in the front, which which will allow the arrow to have more penetration power, and, and it won't bend as much because the back's not kind of yeah. waving around. And then number five, I wrote down their battle tactics. Uh, tech geez. battle tactics. Um, their archers were deployed in large numbers, and so they would kind of move with cavalry units, infantry units, and their ability to just harass with yeah. the, with rains of arrows. I mean, imagine just shooting four arrows straight up. Yeah, and, that's what I'm saying. Like at a rate of twenty arrows a minute, if you have a thousand, yeah, say you have a thousand archers. I mean, get, given the size of, it's not impossible, or it's not out of the realm. I guarantee you, at least a thousand archers. Right. So that's twenty. It's 20,000 arrows, arrows per minute. Per minute. Yeah, on a battlefield that with no trees to stop anything. I mean, None. it had to be terrifying. My yeah. arrows would blot out the sun. Yeah. <laughs> right? well, and, but but it's, it's just, it's terrifying to think, like, I'm here to fight, but I, like, I'm getting decimated before yeah. I even before I, I can even get close enough to you to engage. I just got ran over by horses, and then the horses <laughs> left, and now it's just arrows. Just I would falling. imagine they would do the, they would do the archery first, probably. I know that he there's stories of him where he would enlist uh, like a group he didn't like mm-hmm. just so he could send them into battle and then send arrows. Yeah, and kill his own people. Because he's like, I'm just going to use their bodies. You know, for- get real tight. Those guys eat a lot of bread. We're running <laughs> yeah. low on bread, so yeah. send them. Front line for him. <laughs> but yeah, so the composite bow, 
it was their primary weapon, mm-hmm. and like like I said, they were they were all skilled archers, but it was made of a combination of everything that we've talked about before. But it was right. lightweight and powerful, and, could, and they made them to shoot at long range. So, uh, they, while there's no like definitive answer on how far they could shoot by rebuilding these bows and, yeah. and playing with it there, they were saying a maximum effective range of two to three hundred meters, which is almost a thousand feet. Wow, which is nuts. You could shoot an arrow a thousand feet. I mean, probably not accurately at a thousand, but if you're if you're arching it, you know, just in field of battle, that's yeah. a long ways away to just be flinging arrows. And this is not like <laughs> so. One thing people, I think, because I just thought to myself, a thousand feet's not bad. But I'm, I'm thinking me standing with a compound bow, right? Yeah, you know, cranked all the way up to ninety or ninety five. Yeah, you know, even even still, it's going to be quite 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 a ways. But they're doing this with yeah. a straight. Composite, handmade composite bows. No let off. Yeah. No, no. uh, And thumb releases. Yeah, no (laughs) offset cams to help. No, no, none of the modern technology. It's just a a stick and a string pulling that son bitch back as hard as you can. And it had to be super strong. I bet you their backs were like, nobody wants to see your ripped up back. I bet you their their backs were ripped. Those are men. Yeah. That's a different kind of, Mm -hmm. different kind of human being. Yep. No no soy boys there. No. They may have been. Actually, they may have probably all worked. <laughs> I don't know. Different kind. Yeah, different kind of soy boy. <laughs> they definitely, I'm sure soy is that old. It's got to be. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> but they they made the arrows from reeds or bamboo. Yep. Um, we talked about it before, but which gave, like, maximum damage. But, um, yeah, the quiver, they're, they had leather or metal quivers. Can you imagine wearing a metal quiver? In the middle <laughs> like, it'd drive me nuts. I'd bet that has that leather just had a noise. Just the, the reduced the amount of <laughs> right. clinging around. Right, uh, the thumb ring. So they would use it to kind of draw. So they were usually made of bone, leather, or metal, but it protected the thumb from injury as well because of the way you would hold it. But the Mongolian archery thumb ring um, is like an essential part of their archery technique, and it was used by all the warriors, including Genghis Khan. And it just to make something out of bone, horn, or metal and wear it around your finger and be able to rapid fire. Yeah, arrows. I mean, that's a that's that had to be a huge jump in technology for them for for well, it, whoever they're facing. Yeah, and it, it a little. If you've ever pulled a bow back with just your fingers, um, hurts. Well, yeah, over over a period of time, it starts to wear, right? And you get fatigued, and so this allowed them to pull the bow back by putting most of the 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 direct pressure on on that ring, mm-hmm. and then it dispersed that pressure throughout the whole thumb. And then as you mentioned, or as I was kind of speculating, it frees up their other hands to either hold arrows or more quickly access mm-hmm. uh, arrows from their quiver without being fatigued from having to hold, you know, pull back a bowstring all day. Right. Um, or, or having the leather strap that you see. Because the leather strap is cumbersome if you're trying to knock an arrow. Yeah, it's fine you if you're, you know. need your other hand. Like high school archery teams, you yeah. know, shooting, that, that's fine. You know, that, that's what they're using. It. But in battle, you want to be able to access that next arrow mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. And... uh it yep. seems as though, for the time, they figured out uh, the monopoly on how to do that. I would also imagine there would be a lot of injuries back then for your fingers, because that's like the middle finger, you know, the, where the middle finger comes from. Yes, was the it was which we'll get into once we get into France um, mm-hmm. on another podcast. But they would they cut that middle finger off so they couldn't shoot archery anymore. Right, it was like your hands are very important, and I, and I would imagine that that wasn't the first time that was done. It was probably everybody knew your fingers were important. Yeah, so they of course. found a way to get around. You know. Jacking them up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, yeah, um, <clears throat> that's kind of the beginnings of archery and kind of where everything was started from and, and yeah. moved through time and up we to just, that period. And we just covered, like, like thousands of years, two years, like two years worth of college education, like in, <laughs> you know, in like, an I, I, I should take that back. There's probably people who have entire PhDs and have dedicated their, you know, entire postgraduate schooling on just one of those, mm-hmm. you know, uh, areas and time periods. So we went through a lot there and we, I'm sure we, you know, brushed over something that someone's banging their head on, on the table because we didn't get it exactly right. But well, let us know. We got it right enough. Yeah. Uh, or, and let us know. Uh, I mean, this is just research. You yeah, know, we're just, we, we we're just researching. We paper, basically. Yeah, we're just researching and, and finding inf- information because we generally were curious about some things on the on the, the very earliest uh, onset sort of methods and, and technologies associated with archery. And so we wanted to sort of do a journey from the beginnings all the way to now and sort of highlight, I think, where we kind of lost our way a little bit. 
I really we all we were taught where it came up as we were discussing ancient hunting techniques. Like, yeah, what are we not doing that they were doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's, I it's it seems like we're doing a lot of the same, except you know they, I think they were they were hunting as a team. And I think that's probably the... I think they were hunting more together. Yeah. You know, there was more community. There was a hunting party. Yeah. And I also think that it was it was more of a necessity. Yeah. There were people whose day-to-day life were, were focused on hunting mm-hmm. and getting food for themselves, for their family, for the tribe or community. And today, hunting... I got the fucking hiccups for some reason. Nice. Today, hunting is as an escape. You know, yeah. so how can I get out and, and go hunt for the evening or for a short weekend and mm-hmm. maximize that time? Well, I don't have time to spend four days uh, or, or four weeks stalking and tracking a herd of buffalo. Right. I need to know where they are, go there and shoot with as much as with as much efficiency and mm-hmm. as effectively as possible. And I think that's driven uh, this obsession with technology and spending money on the latest and greatest bow every year. When I think a lot of us, and you did this, you took a step back and spent some time shooting um, traditional archery with a recurve, right? Yeah, I, I still, and I still do it. For how, how much has the patience and the focus and the muscle memory associated with that? How much has that helped with your other hunting? A lot. It's, it teaches you a, it teaches you a few different things. But one of the things that I found most fascinating is that it is mostly muscle memory because you're not using. You know, the arrow isn't going to be in the exact same spot every time, yep. uh, more or less. I mean, the, you could put things on it to make it so it, you right. know exactly where to put it. But it's the feel. The feel. That's what I was getting ready to say. Being able to pull back and release without really aiming. I mean, I just yes. know that my hand is pointed in the direction that I need to go in. And at 20 yards, I mean, I could definitely kill something at 20 yards with a recurve. So we're talking about an, we're talking about an ancient warrior doing, doing that thing largely on muscle memory mm-hmm. and largely on feel right just repetitive 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 just being a master of your skill and i mentioned warriors earlier i watched a video yesterday and gavin saw it as well and uh it was a a um, retired army um unit guy that now has a um a training company and he trains civilians and law enforcement on how to be uh, how to better respond to uh active shooter situations right. yeah. and and he was doing a shooting drill and I watched him shoot that drill, and uh, from draw to engaging the targets and pulsing his weapon, it was like six targets, and it was a matter of seconds. And it didn't look. Gavin was like, didn't look like, didn't look like he even aimed. As I said, Gavin, I said, those guys spend ten years roughly in their unit. I said they do that every day. Mm-hmm. I was like, out with. I said within a certain within a certain distance, don't need. They to aim. don't aim. Yeah, it's just feel and muscle memory. Yep. Um, he may be aiming subconsciously that, that because that's the, the motion he's practiced, but he's shooting so much on, on, on just feel, yep. especially within 10, 15 meters. Like, um, well, that's like how the, like the Cowboys, like the drawing yeah. from holster. Oh, yeah. Cause they, everybody thinks they drew, brought it up and fired. What they really did is they dipped the barrel out of their holster and fired from, from their hip, hip. Yeah. and put it right back in. Cause there's, there's tons of stories them at, they couldn't figure out who shot a guy at a bar because right. it was just it was like pow, and you look around and everybody's like, "What with me?" Yeah. You know, because the guy had dipped that holster so quick. But yeah, a lot of it is, and it was a different time too, right? Yeah, like you took someone by their word because that was yeah, it was what a man did, right? So you da- you damn sure didn't go well. Then let me let me feel your the, let me let me feel the barrel of your gun. Yeah, right. Well, now you're just asking to get it get the same you treatment don't trust later. <laughs> yeah, it's like the whole hat thing. Like like yeah. you never turn if you're on the trail, you never turn and look over your shoulder. Right. It was if you pass somebody, just you know, it's like there was just different rules back then, and it transcends into some of this hunting stuff. And so that's what we were curious on is what are, what are we missing? So there's a lot more to come. That was kind of the first. Uh, down and dirty and and, uh, and I think we mentioned this in the last episode or if we didn't I think we talked about it and we, we meant to and that is we're going down these little rabbit holes of, of this topic and and we'll go down and research and find things on whatever we find interesting but if you have something that you guys want to hear sure. that you listen to let us know shoot us a message shoot us an email at info at whiskey or leave us a message um, somewhere on social media and, and you can leave a review on uh, wherever you get your podcast if you if you could do that anyway if you could just give us a 
Give us a five star and then leave a review on a topic that you would like us to cover, and we'll see that as well. We would love to to if we'd love to go down that that rabbit hole and research that, and even better if we can find a guest who's an expert in that field oh, yeah. and get them on, and we'll talk. We'll we'll have them tell us about it. So, which we've we've looked at for this as well. I think kind of once we get through our part of it, maybe look for yeah. to see if we can get somebody on. Sure, to yeah, that'd be cool. Have to that, that conversation. Yeah, cool. But yeah, so thanks for tuning in. Next week we're gonna get into some of the Chinese uh, stuff with gunpowder and how gunpowder kind of changed. History. History, especially in archery. And we might talk about some of the ancient games they used to play, because I'm fascinated in that, too, some of the archery games. I did not know there were archery games. There are. I don't know what they are, but uh, I saw it listed several times. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So, cool. All right. Well, don't forget to use 20, uh, do code podcast to get 20% off the website. Um, we're moving into holiday season here in the next couple of months with Mother's Day and all those other things approaching, so keep an eye out on for some sales. Mm-hmm. And if you're a small business owner and you're interested in having some of our whiskey and cigar accoutrements or our game calls in your store, give us a shout. Yep. We'll make it happen. We are able to do that now. So Cool. Looking forward to it. All right, man. Well, I'm getting ready to get off here and go start my weekend. Same. Uh, I got to pee like crazy. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.